I have a genuine problem mm -hmm. while peeing in the shower, being able to turn around. Now, I don't pee in the shower every time, but if I have to pee and I happen to be in the shower, I will pee. But have you ever peed in the shower, been able to turn around and have a fluid stream the entire time? Well, I don't think that's an issue for females, right? Because, I mean, if you're, if you're peeing in the shower, one, it tends not to have an outstream. It's just going to go between your Tripling, thighs. Yeah. So, I mean, you just, if you spin around, it makes no difference whatsoever. See, every step I take and the turn is like a pause in the stream. <laughs> it's really weird. So, so wait, when you're moving, you can't, like the urination stream stops. Is that what you're well, saying? And here's the thing. I can walk in a straight line and I've done this hiking and, and camping. I can walk <laughs> and pee at the same time. I wow. can't turn and pee. Hence the weird. <laughs> that, is, that is fascinating to me. Uh, not having it. ever been equipped with a penis that shares my neurological system. <laughs> it's pretty all awesome, right. I have to say. Well. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So they all, all keep right. telling me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. I'm being joined today by Witch Zafdig. How are you, my dear? I'm well. How are you? Super awesome. <laughs> I'm stoked. I, I, there's so much to go over before we even start the show, but we do have a really great show for you uh, in store. It is uh, January 18th, and we're going to be talking about uh, a number of things here. Uh, the, the Devil's Advocate. We're going to bring you the article, Get a Life. And this was actually, uh, Anton LaVey originally wrote and released this in Satan Speaks. Um, it has recently been uh, put on the Church of Satan website for review. And I think it's a really relevant and uh, important essay. And I want to talk about it. Uh, I want to make sure that everyone gets a chance to hear it. Uh, so... So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, in an orthodoxy with Witch Zaftig, of course, the witch is in the his house. This is episode six. What are we calling this one? Uh, we're going to talk about defining religion and how that's relevant to cults and new religious movements in the face of freedom of religion. Nice. And of course, if you're in the United States, we just had a Religious Freedom Day, so I'm sure that'll be an interesting discussion. I'm looking forward to it personally. Uh, I did speak with Old Nick, and so we have another Old Nick Peep Show, episode 16. Little details on the new release, and audience growth is the topic of discussion. So uh, look forward to that at the tail end here. So before we start, um, uh, I had I had forgotten until a, a friend of mine uh, who also uh, lives here in the valley uh, let me know that there is a Hof German festival. And I was stationed in Germany for three years in the military. I love... Every German I've ever met, I've never had an issue with them. I think I love the culture, I love the people, and I definitely love the country. It's so fucking nice. Um, 
<laughs> However, I find this with every single festival for any type of uh, culture or uh, anything like that, uh, society. It's never, it's, it's like, it's like if you took the stereotype of that culture, wrapped food, music, and commerce around it, that's what the festival is. It's never like an authentic experience. It's always like Lederhosen and Polka. Like that is, <laughs> that is a German festival. And I, I went to a, and fucking Germans love to have their fucking parties. I went to, um, I mean, nearing like 50 in the time I was there, different festivals while I was in Germany, and none of them were like a German festival in America. Not right. one. So, weird, a little bit different. And and here's the thing. Okay, so my point was <laughs> that <laughs> my buddy told me about it. I had agreed I would go with him. I totally forgot about it. And so, like, sort of at the last second, we were trying to, you know, adjust our schedules and get up there. And, I mean, here's one thing to keep in mind. Whenever you think, uh, whenever I think of uh, cultural festivals in America... And I'm going to I'm going to go on a limb and say if the culture is not in the region that you are, any festival that you may experience as well is typically the older generation trying to latch on to their ancestry and deliver it to a younger generation. But the younger generation normally isn't really interested in it at all. And so they just avoid it at all costs. So what you have is grandparents and grandchildren that does not an exciting festival make. And this German one was no different. So no matter what, no matter how bad the festivals are, if you have good company, it makes it okay. I had really good company, and, and so that you know made the festival worthwhile. And I got to dance with my daughter to some polka, which is always fun for me. I love dancing with her. So my wife is much too embarrassed to dance with me. <laughs> which, Give your daughter time. She'll be embarrassed too. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, and then here's the thing, like, we went, I was like, do you want to go dance? And she was, like, super excited, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got out there, we started dancing, and she shut down and just, like, got all shy and tilted her head. Oh. I had to end up literally picking her up and dancing with her in my arms because right. she wouldn't move. Like, she she was just, she became embarrassed, which is really weird for her. She's usually, usually really good about it. Uh, so let me talk some shit about the Germans. <laughs> After having said I love them. Uh, you guys don't... Well, it's not fair, not the Germans, the German festivals. There are two things that make German festivals good. Two. Polk is not one of them. Beer and food. <laughs> Those are the only two things. You go to a Scottish festival, and it may be because my, I have Scottish ancestry, so I'm a little biased, but there's fucking games. There's events. There's excitement. Like, you see beautiful women, youth. You see, it draws in the young men to, you know, wear their kilts, and it draws in the young women to see the men in their kilts. You have all ages. You have tons of activity. You have athleticism. You have drinking. You have eating. And it's super crazy. Dancing and music. It's so fucking good. And there's, like, three here in Utah throughout the year. You go to a German festival, and as I already said, it's polka... The food and beer. The beer is local. I don't know why you would ever have local really? beer at a fucking German festival. Because, okay, to be fair, Utah has some really good microbreweries compared to national beer or, or worldwide right. beer standards. But it's not that great, to be honest. I mean, my, I'm biased, <laughs> but I prefer my homebrew to any microbrew any day. Right. Um but it's all, none of it's German. None of you pretends to be German. So you had a German festival with local beer, and then you have German food, but it's 
like the worst German food I've ever had in my life. I went to some fucking dives run by Turks serving German food when I was in Germany, and it was so much better than this German food was. Right. I mean, it was like dry and hard. And what what confused me about the entire thing was that the the restaurant that was catering made a point to list their name on all materials. So they're they're advertising that they're the worst German food in the world after you've eaten it. Why would you do like either deliver a freaking premium superior product or don't put your fucking name on the fucking roster? Because people are gonna know and they're gonna avoid your fucking business, you stupid German fuck! Ah! But were they German? So this is my question about this whole German festival. Because granted, you go anywhere in the world when they talk about some sort of cultural festival that's not in the its original home, mm-hmm. you know, so an expat sort of, uh, and uh, it's some sort of exported festival. Is it actually run by Germans? I mean, because I've been to Scottish festivals and there are very few actual Scots there anymore. <laughs> Who knows how close to Scottish culture it actually is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you said, there's men in kilts. They're usually doing something kind of physical. There's grunting and there's beer, and it's super hot and awesome. So, like, who cares if they're actually ethnically Scots? I don't. Well, that's what (laughs) I like about. So, um, if Germans, if the Germans running, if they're actually Germans running this festival or not, maybe, who knows? Well, it's definitely not first generation Germans. Right. I mean, they're you know they they make it a point saying, oh, you know, some of the some of the musicians that are coming over, uh, we flew in from Germany. And so you get some authentic feel there. A lot of the festival um, uh, administration, um, they're you know either first generation or second generation German, so meaning they you know were raised here by German parents. Mm-hmm. So there is German influence. I don't know how much of the vendors or that particular restaurant right. that catered it, which was shit, shit, shit. But I will never eat German food in Utah again. I guarantee it. Unless someone listening can tell me of a really good place. I would love to hear it because I love me some fucking German food. Um, But yeah, the Scottish here, and again, I I am Scottish and I participate in the societies Mm -hmm. and stuff as much as I can. So I do know that there's a lot of, um, like the St. Andrews Society and uh, the Utah Scottish Association, the Clan Campbell Society North America, they're all involved and it's a huge ordeal. So it, it is very much connected with the societies literally in Scotland and the right. Highland Games are really well organized worldwide wherever they're right. held because they do have a, a direct tie. So yeah. I don't know if it's just the Scottish are better at organizing or if the German were just like, this is a dying festival and we're just trying to keep it going. Right, maybe. I don't know which it is, but it was the worst cultural festival <laughs> I've ever been at in my well, life. Well then, but also I'm wondering if a German festival uh, only happens necessarily sort of outside of Germany in the sense that in the Scottish Highland Games, those happened in the Highlands, and there's a long history of that's that in Scotland. So yeah. in Germany, I don't know. I mean, I know there's Oktoberfest, but like that's beer, which is great. Yeah, and, I mean, and there's a lot of like like German American festivals based around the military bases, right. and there's a lot of like carnival. There's like a carnival every other weekend at <laughs> some random town in Germany. It was, I mean, they partied a fucking lot, and then yeah. they had their wine festivals, which. Mm-hmm. I mean, German beer is great and all, but German wine is amazing. And again, I may be biased because I'm much more into wine nowadays. But I'm, I'm going to have to go now. Just to, <laughs> I'm just going to hop on a plane and hop over to Germany. Place. You're not far either, right? I'm I not mean, that far now. I'm I would for, totally for the go listeners, over I'm you. currently in Norway. 
Oh, I love me. Months. I love me some Germans. All right. So, uh, so that was weird. <laughs> and I, I was, you know, obviously I just being inundated with Polka all night. So now I'm thinking about the, the musicians that I sort of follow online, but I haven't seen firsthand, uh, people that are sort of coming up and it, let me say this. If you're a musician and you rely more on theatricality than talent, I personally, I think you failed. <laughs> I understand you need to do something to draw in an audience. And that's really, if you're playing the club scene, that's what you're supposed to be doing is mm -hmm. do something so that you can drum up some excitement and, you know, sell some tickets, uh, you know, sell some booze for whatever club owner. But uh, if, if your draw in all of your social networking is sex, that's the easy sell. You're not, in my opinion, again, you're not doing a very good fucking job. They, well, maybe not as a musician, but are they doing right. a good job of selling sex? Because Right, but you, how hard is you that? you judge like, them on that criteria. <laughs> you guys hey, do great. some people are better than others <laughs> at, at selling sex. Yeah, <laughs> I just, it's weird to me. Like, why why wouldn't you want your, your central focus to be... If you really want to be a musician, if you don't, then I don't give a fuck. You're just a performer of some sort. But if you really want to be a musician, but you're not highlighting the musician or the musicality, why the fuck are you even bothering? Why don't you just go into fucking whatever else performance arts? Like, I just don't yeah. understand it. It's like they're... They could list themselves as no respect artists for, as opposed from me. to musician. Like, if they're selling themselves as a musician, then that's what mm -hmm. you expect. Instead of yeah. uh, rebranding themselves as performance artists that do all kinds of different things. Because then you, you have an expectation for a different kind of performance. Yeah. 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 I understand. Because then I, when weird. I, that happens to me. I've seen it a lot. Way back, way back when I was cool, like way back when <laughs> I used to, to co-host this uh, radio show and uh, it was all about hip hop. And because it was at the time, hip hop wasn't on the radio. So it was, um, mm. it was a community radio. Now it's everywhere and in commercials, but uh, in the early 90s it wasn't. And uh, because I co-hosted the show with a couple of friends, uh, we would get invited to all these hip-hop shows and we'd go. So all these local and, you know, people bringing in different artists. Uh, and the huge disparity between those who knew how to perform, like some of those could make a good music and good remixes in their basement and their recorded stuff sounded amazing but had no concept of what it meant to put on a good show that didn't yeah. bore people or that the sound has to be good especially for something like hip-hop where someone's rapping if you don't have good sound <laughs> you're you know like you're not gonna wow someone with your muffled screaming into a mic like it's, it's so um it it, the ones that did well were the ones that understood that a stage performance is a different set of skills mm -hmm. and a different showcase than what you're doing in a studio and what you're doing recording. So uh, it became interesting to see the disparity between um, those who understood that and those who didn't. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, that's a, a really good point too, because I'm, I'm sort of making a shortcut to a point, but there, it is, like you said, a totally different skill set. And so you have to you have to be able to, it, it's a delicate balance, we'll say, mm -hmm. in order to pull off a, a, a good stage performance while featuring your, your talent as a musician. Yeah. I don't know, it just bothered me. Um, all right, so again, I am having uh, Megas Gilmore on to talk about the Church of Satan, uh, 50 years of the Church of Satan. So uh, I'm, I'm compiling lists and I've gotten a couple from you guys already. 
it's just open. I'm not asking for them, but if you want to submit questions, it, you know, feel free to. Um, I don't yet. I mean, with everything that happened last week and everything that's kind of going on uh, in the early year 50, it's hard for me to um, find a whole lot of time to do extra extra things. And so it, it's easier if I can get some aid from you listeners on what you would want to hear out of an interview like that. So, you know, if you have any questions, send them my way, info at ninecentspodcast.com. Um, and again, two weeks ago, I switched over the RSS feed. I've had a couple people let me know that they've had issues and I've, I've sort of directed them and how to deal with it. Uh, so if you are ever having issues with downloading, streaming, or just getting new episodes of Nine Cents, uh, I encourage you to reach out to me. I will address them directly with you and we will find a solution so you can tune in if that is the fact that you want to tune in. <laughs> of course, if you don't and you can contact me, that's just weird anyway. But um, but we make a point to afford you as many options as we can uh, with this hobby of ours of producing nine cents. So you can get up by YouTube, RSS feeds, Stitcher, Spotify, I'm uh, not Spotify, um, Last.fm, uh, iTunes. I mean, you can really pretty much get it in any manner you want. So utilize that. If you're having trouble in one uh, avenue of, of accessing the podcast, go to another. Um, but you know, we're doing pigeon. everything we can to make sure you can hear. Owl, courier pigeon. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Arrow with a string <laughs> attached to the podcast. Raven. <laughs> Cans with a string in between them. That's right. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, as much as possible. I, I want to make sure that everyone gets it. I did, uh, you know, delete the old RSS feed. I've added every single episode since the beginning of Nine Cents to the current RSS feed. So you don't have to hunt if you don't want to for those older episodes. Uh, there's a ton. Oh, and here's the thing I, I kind of want to bring up now. This is a weekly podcast. There is a ton of information in the past four years of its existence. A ton of valuable, valuable thought, wit, wisdom, guests, uh, essays, uh, audio performances, uh, general comedic entertainment. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff. So do yourselves a favor and go check it out. You can always go to 9centspodcast.com. There's a search field in the upper right-hand corner. Just type in a topic, and it will give you every page that's referenced that. Do you ever wonder what a guest was on or where to find information on the guest that's been on Nine Cents in the past four years? All you have to do is go to the guests page, and it has literally every single guest and links to their personal projects since the beginning of Nine Cents. So that's tons of information for you, uh, tons of content for you to go through, and it is all available. It is all free. I hate saying that word. <laughs> but it's true. Completely free and it's there. All you have to do is search for it. It takes seconds and you can get a, get a hold of some really amazing people. Mm -hmm. So do yourselves a favor and do that. Um, how about we continue delivering the amazing content, which is Aptic, and uh, start a little Devil's Advocate. Sounds good. All right. In nomine I'm an active member. I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Get a Life by Anton Zander LaVey. As far as I'm concerned, I would like my organization, the Church of Satan, to exist as a cabal for the mutual endowment of those already occupied with interests and activities other than organizational. I have often stated that I like to think of the Church of Satan as an organization for non-joiners. Affiliation need not negate independence. Affiliation should be based on respect rather than desperation. 
respect for a set of principles and for other men and women who share those principles, yet who are not dependent on an organization to give substance to their lives. The obvious question arises, why then would such persons need a church of Satan? The answer is, they don't, unless it can do them some good. Affiliation should enhance one's life, rather than be, than be a substitute for it. Can I just say, you got a really great reading voice. I Thanks, man. <laughs> it has been suggested several times that if I ever, uh, this academia thing didn't work out, that mm. there's always phone sex. So, yeah. plan B. Plan B is out there. Why do you think you can't see anything below my shoulders? <laughs> <laughs> taking advantage. <laughs> All right. Uh, so get a life. Let's get back on topic. Uh, get a life. Um, I love this article. It, it is so good. So obviously at its core, the entire article is about uh, people who identify with the Church of Satan, but for one reason or another, refuse to join it. Um, and he, he, Anton LaVey goes through a number of these common reasons throughout the rest of the uh, essay. Um, and again, you can pick this up in, in, in the entire collection of um, Satan Speaks. It's a really, really great collection of a ton of essays from Anton LaVey. Um, and I believe it was the like last collection he ever released. <clears throat> and then uh, just recently, Magus Gilmore released it uh, on the uh, Church of Satan website. So it's Church of Satan uh, forward slash get a life. Uh, what what I've found a lot, and I get a lot of emails from people who listen to the show or have tuned into a episode of the show or see a clip of the YouTube. Uh, I get a lot of stuff from people who, um, like, for example, listen to the Greater Magic episodes and then just sort of reactionarily respond to me or people who are looking to join the Church of Satan and want to learn a little bit more about it. And I always try to push them off of me forwarded to the Church of Satan. Uh, churchofsatan.com usually is the best place to go that I send people. But most of it stems from I can't afford. I, I want to join it, but I can't afford to join it because everyone knows that you don't have to announce your affiliation to the world. And, and then you get some of them, they're like, well, why should I join it? I'm just going to, uh, you know, be a Satanist. And yeah, you know, no one has to join it. You know, that's what Anton LaVey is saying in this. But if you're going to latch on to everything that the Church of Satan says, does, uh, and expresses through its members, and then still not join, you're just leeching off of this this organization. And, and that actually bothers me a lot. Like, either you're in or you're out. And so, I, I, here's, here's a question for you, which is Aftig. What's the... <laughs> I don't mean to insult anyone, so... I hope I hope everyone just hears this as a discussion, not a direct attack on your person. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's the difference between a Satanist and a member of the Church of Satan? Wow. Okay. Well, first, uh, I'd like to back up just a little bit before yeah. I answer that question, before I attempt to answer that question. Um, I read this particular essay by LeVay as addressing... Um, the specific instance of not just people who are hesitant, because there's a, certainly a category of people who consider themselves Satanists, have mm -hmm. a particular affinity with the Church of Satan, and it's just not their thing to join. That's yeah. fine. Mm -hmm. 
LeVay appears to be addressing the particular kind that likes to openly associate. So that is, and is kind of um, scavenging, as he calls it, uh, off of the organization in every way possible except for joining. So that in a way that they can always say, it's like they always have an out. Well, I never officially became a member. So here's Mm -hmm. all these things that um, that behaviorally maybe that may not fit with our principles. I, I, I always view it as um, not just sort of the non-committal, um, but sort of the kind of the kind of people that that are always in the periphery. We know some of them um, that like to sort of uh, hover around. And I don't see it just as taking the benefits, but I see it as there's a particular kind of uh, what would be the word? There's a particular, so the, the Church of Satan emanates a certain kind of, uh, um, well, it's got a mystique. <clears throat> it's got a mystique. It's got an appeal. So whether you're a member or not, there's some, there's a presence out there in the world, right? Mm-hmm. There's a particular kind of presence. It has a particular, very particular and direct message. And it hasn't, this message actually hasn't wavered in 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. Give or take small, changes very but minute which is kind of rare in and of itself i view the scavenging as kind of a way of benefiting from this solid type of message without becoming a member and i don't care if somebody doesn't become a member or not Mm -hmm. i do care if they're constantly hovering around different members (laughs) and i've seen this quite a bit now in my uh how many years um about eight years now I've been uh, associated with the COS, constantly hovering around different members, bouncing from one group of, you know, of COS members to another, um, and trying to seethe off of this type of image that the Church of Satan has in the world. It's kind of interesting. I also don't care so much. I try to ignore those people unless they're genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. To me, if you ask me what's the difference between a Satanist and um, a member of the Church of Satan, uh, if someone considers themselves a Satanist in the world and are applying the principles personally, I don't care if they're a member or not. But if someone is making all these proclamations about what they think Satanism is and declaring themselves as close to being a member as possible, but never actually becoming a member, I wonder if they consider themselves as not measuring up. That's my main question. It's not something I would answer for them. Ooh, that's interesting. But I kind of view it as you probably don't think that you could measure up because once mm. you become a member, you're going to be scrutinized by other members a lot more closely than if you weren't. Yeah. And uh, even if it's not overt, uh, no one's coming to your house, no one's sending you questionnaires, but <laughs> you and I both know that when members meet other members, there is a certain standard that we absolutely ex- expect. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and view how you apply your statements in the world, as varied as that can be, because it can, it can be uh, incredibly varied about how Satanists enact these principles in the world. But there is a particular kind of judgment. We are looking at each other often. So I yeah. view the scavenger as one who doesn't think they can measure up. That's interesting. I never thought of it on the, uh, the, the non-joiner's internalization part of it. I always... I always saw it as um, they wanted the best of both worlds with an easy out. They wanted to 
to leech off and feel like they were a part of it. But if at any point in their life they changed their mind, for example, they could easily just walk away and not have any have any worries. Now that's obviously not a Satanist because you either connect with it or you don't. That's that's a, a, a hanger on. That's a vampire of sorts. <clears throat> but that's how I see a lot of a lot of a lot of Satanists that uh, one have no zero control over their lives. Um, so obviously they're not applying principles of Satanism mm-hmm. or, or they're just <laughs> worthless human beings, um, which I would like to think that Satanists wouldn't be, but I'm a little right. too adult to <laughs> believe that a hundred percent. Um, or, or they're just, uh, I, I, I did a, a rant uh, a long time ago, um, on one of these devil's advocate, um, about, uh, bar, uh, there's no such thing as borrowed satanic equity and so there's this idea that if you connect with people you somehow inherit some of their coolness factor their their mystique their persona if you have enough cool people around you then maybe you're cool now even though you have nothing within yourself that would project a sense of coolness so you have to latch on to other people to get that sense of authority or whatever it is I think a lot of people who, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, air quotes, Satanists that refuse to join, even though they could, I'm not talking about actual Satanists who just have no interest in being involved in the organization and just applying their lives, but those who could, um, but refuse to because either, like you said, they don't feel like they internally measure up or they just want to be associated without having any sort of downside and let's be honest there can potentially be downsides um one is a base judgment from other people that you're a member of the church of satan if you're found out yes we we like to pretend that we live in a a free society uh wherever you are as free as that society is but there is a stigma attached with satanism in a lot of different places especially if you're a member of the organization of the church of satan so you can have some negative uh, repercussions for that, uh, either in your personal workspace or uh, personal relationships, uh, family, friends. Um, but I don't I, view those concerns as illegitimate. I think that's a legitimate concern that if you felt that officially joining could somehow harm you, um, mm-hmm. absolutely don't join. I believe I believe it was uh, uh, Magistrana Jamia that said, our religion does not require martyrs. As mm. in, if it somehow can yeah. harm you, we don't need you. We don't want you. That's not what this is about. Um, I don't view this particular essay as addressing those kinds of concerns. I view it because most of the people who are the type of scavengers he's addressing are loudly proclaiming their Satanism <laughs> <laughs> to everyone possible all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and But then usually with the next step saying like, oh, but I didn't become a member because that's not, they're sort of viewing membership as uncool, um, you know, like sort of framing it as only true Satanists wouldn't become a member of an organization. Yeah, that's yeah, how they're yeah. interpreting it. So that's usually when I hear that kind of rhetoric, that's how they're talking about it. Someone with a legitimate concern, uh, I have no issue with. They should do the most pragmatic thing for them. But yeah. those people are usually not the ones that are <laughs> making a big stint about how badass they are. <laughs> and if, if, if the people who surround you are sort of affecting you, I find that a bit, um, uh, a bit strange and a bit ironic because a lot of Satanists I know don't actually 
you know, spend much time with other Satanists. You know, like I have gone years without being in the same room with another one. Most of the people I hang out with are academics and some long friend, you know, long-standing friends who yeah. uh, don't want to have anything to do with my academic conversations because it bores them and we sound pretentious. <laughs> and we are and we do. So, uh, but like if, if, that's, if that's the appeal, like to me, to me, most people in my life don't really know um, a few people those people that are close to me fine it's sort of an open secret but if I have noticed that interestingly um, when I first proposed this kind of because I, I, I study this kind of stuff in academia you know esotericism mm -hmm. and Satanism and magic and when I went to look at it as an academic no problem um, when I started being a bit more open about my own particular approach well look here I'm a member uh, here's some of the biases I have to keep in check and be aware of as I as I look at this content. You know, you have to have a self-awareness of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, when I, because I do know that there's some people that, like there's rumors about me and <laughs> some people may have started conversations with me hoping I'd be a lot more dark and mysterious than I actually <laughs> And so then here's like this sort of like enthusiastic, kind of nerdy academic. <laughs> Not quite what they expected. To me though, that's, kind of the satanic thing. I'm not going to be what you expect. Mm. Uh, I never wear all black. <laughs> I couldn't recognize any death metal band out there. <laughs> I have no concern about whether or not I'm cool or mysterious to anyone, uh, whether if within or without the church. Mm. Um, so I think that the concern for affiliation and what can you can do for you and how much... Uh, you feel the 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 association, even even without being officially affiliated or not, uh, mm -hmm. to me is a very unsatanic thing. The idea that somehow being this or not being this is going to affect your cool factor to me is uh, a bit of a waste of your energy. Oh, there's so many other things that can make you cool. I don't know, be a rocket scientist or something. <laughs> don't. No, that's don't. a really good point. Yeah. I mean, it it speaks to a complete misunderstanding of what the Church of Satan really is and what a Satanist really is. You know, it, it speaks to if you are trying to latch on through social networks or through your own individual life, though, to be fair, traditionally nowadays, it's all just social networking, to as many different Satanists as possible in order to somehow validate your Satanist cred, like, oh, I know these people. Well, that is the least Satanic thing you could possibly yep. be doing. Like the least. And so not only are you failing at elevating your own social status, you're failing at being a human being, <laughs> a Satanist. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, Satanism isn't uh, the huddling in a room, uh, maniacally planning world dominance. It's very much living your own independent life yeah. and uh, meeting and, and, and uh, achieving goals and uh, challenges along on your own terms in your own way. Um, but th there is this this universal understanding of what a church is, mm -hmm. I would say, that uh, the Church of Satan very much does not fit into. So in as much as we are Satanists, but we don't believe in a Satan, we are a Church of Satan, the organization, but we don't have a church building that we all go to every Sunday. So in the terms of what a, a church is, in, in the name of the organization uh, indicates, we very much are not it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Anton LaVey said from the beginning, we're a, a, a mutual admiration society. We are a group of non-joiners who, 
who rather than trying to connect with the Church of Satan in order to somehow uh, uh, rocket ship our uh, careers or our dreams or or our you know s signing a, a pact with the devil to be rich, it's very much if you do it in reality, you're going to meet other people who, as you just said, which is after, will scrutinize your behavior, your projects that you present. Uh, they're going to uh, keep their opinions to themselves unless you ask, and then they're going to be honest. And that hurts feelings sometimes. <laughs> <Literally> so. <laughs> I, think I mean, the, the notion of church serves um, a function in society, too. Mm -hmm. So the idea, so even though there's no physical building, the idea that there's still an assemblage of people applying these particular principles uh, makes it um, be to be clearer and to be more on message for the, for public interaction. So when you can mm -hmm. say church, as you said, there's sort of this universal concept of what it means. So at least, I mean, it helps with PR. It helps with the idea of saying we are this more or less unified group. There's all kinds of variations within, but oh, yeah. here's our prime tenets and they're just as important. Whereas if you called it a vague philosophy, and I've encountered that quite a few times too, people say, oh, it's not a religion, it's a philosophy. And I say, mm. <laughs> LeVay described it as a religion. It has a you know, practice. It's, it, it helps with uh, when you're presenting yourself to the world, uh, mm -hmm. if you're seeking some kind at least of acceptance, if not total you know, legitimacy, to say, to have a codified kind of thing. And so terms like religion and church uh, can help with that because you do, have, uh, you do have concepts that people can latch onto in order to help get the message across. Yeah, I mean, just for me personally, when, when, I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I think of uh, philosophies, by nature, I think of them as abstract ideas that never have a solid footing. Yes. When I think of religion, it is very much grounded. It may be grounded in insanity or fantasy, but it's grounded in itself. And so when I think of Satanism, I don't think of an abstract, non-tangible thing. I think of this is what it means to be a Satanist. This is what Satanism means. Yeah. The individual is the abstract interpretation, but the fundamentals are grounded. No, I, I would agree with you. It's not a, but even by the standards of, uh, philosophy, philosophy departments and how they mm -hmm. define what a philosopher is, Satanism doesn't quite meet that criteria. So it's um, uh, by all, by almost all standards, there's a philosophical component to Satanism, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, like the, the, the theoretical aspect. But, um, but yeah, I don't think it necessarily, I, I, yeah, to me it detracts from it to solely call it philosophy. And usually when people call it a philosophy, I think it's because that same way that they're rejecting church, they yeah. kind of want to reject this idea that there's um, some sort of institutionalized religion, so they just call it a philosophy, um, which to me detracts from, you know, how concrete it actually is. Yeah. Well, again, um, you know, reading this essay, it, it's undeniable what Anton, he has such a wonderful way of, of bringing home a point and uh, delivering a message in his own very, very unique way. And it's one of the reasons why many of us connect so deeply with Satanism is because of the way he presented it. Um, and so I, I, do, I do highly recommend everyone checks this out, uh, take from it uh, the core of his message and, and uh, uh, extrapolate it upon your life and, and really take a moment and reflect about why you 
why you identify as a Satanist, um, if you're a member, why you identify as a member of the Church of Satan, why you joined, and, and how you're going to uh, move forward as a member of the Church of Satan. And if you're not, whether or not you should consider it or whether or not you should be affiliated at all. Um, and so I, I want to close this out with the very, very last paragraph here of this essay. Members of the Church of Satan may not be fulfilling their destinies to their complete satisfaction, but they do have destinies. The best of them have already taken steps to actualize those destinies. The Church of Satan should serve as a generator for existing energy. Well, let's do a little unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. <laughs> everyone, I'm a Den or Den. If you ever get cold, you can stand in the corner of a room. They're generally 90 degrees. Or you can listen to my segment, Militant Eroticism, at the end of every month on Nine Cents Podcast. I'll either piss you off or get your pelvis grooving. Either way, you'll be warm. Um, Fascination is a binding, which comes from the spirit of the witch, through the eyes of him that is bewitched, entering to Fascination is a binding, now the instrument of fascination is the spirit, namely a certain pure, lucid subtlety, generated of the pure blood by the heat of the heart. So on this week's segment of Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig, um, I wanted to discuss some of the problems of defining religion. Uh, in the legal and popular spheres. And the reason I want to focus on this is because of Religious Freedom Day, which is uh, January 16th in the United States. Now, essentially, the proclamation uh, is a statement that says you can't be compelled to support a particular religious worship. Um, you can't be forced or uh, <clears throat> burdened by... Uh, different people's, not only your own, you can't enforce someone, you can't impose your particular religion, and neither can it be imposed upon you. So it's part of civil liberties, uh, which sounds kind of cool on the surface. It's great. We like to talk about religious freedom and how in secular nations, you know, Western secular nations, uh, we have these principles. Where it becomes a little sketchy or a little bit muddy is uh, when it involves new religious movements otherwise known as cults. Because um, people talk about religious freedom as some big ideal that they support, it becomes interesting to see whether or not they support it when they're encountered with something that is bizarre or strange. Mm -hmm. So many people might have um, uh, upheld the notion of religious freedom until uh, they feel that Scientology um, is a cult and needs <laughs> rendered illegal. So in different countries, um, there's, uh, especially Scientology, because they are so contentious, they're one of the most contentious new religions out there, they're highly oh, litigious. Really? And in, in different areas, um, they're highly litigious, so they have <laughs> lawsuits, they mm. sue a lot of people for um, what they feel is defamation. Um, they are also one of the wealthiest, they do accumulate quite a bit of money. Uh, and in certain areas, like France has a notoriously bad uh, environment for tolerating new religions, <laughs> despite their notion of what religious freedom is and free expression, it does not apply to new religions. 
They have whole uh, factions of their law enforcement dedicated to the suppression uh, of a religious sects, as they call them, like sectarian movements. Um, so it becomes interesting to me to view the rhetoric about, uh, one, how far does this ideal of religious freedom extend? Like, is it actually extending to things that are bizarre and weird? And two, if it's written into the laws, then how are they defining religion itself? And this becomes the, one of the main cruxes of how, um, even if it's written into the laws, that the protection of religious freedom, that defining religion then becomes a big issue. So I, I'm going to give like a little uh, anecdote for when I teach classes. Um, when I teach classes, and usually when I open the first class or two, I ask my students to yell out words that um, would define a religion. Hey, give me a list of things that you think a religion looks like. And 99% of the time, they will call out things like ethics and morals, rituals, usually a primary text of some sort, some sort of divinity, a god, and community. And so these components um, we might look at and we would recognize them as religion. Uh, you might even look it up in an encyclopedia and it might give you these criteria. The problem becomes that this particular conceptual definition of religion uh, is based on monotheistic religions. So by applying this particular definition in the laws, and some countries do, you are uh, inherently supporting solely monotheism, usually Christianity. In the Western world, it would be Christianity that becomes the basis, the most recognizable type of religion. So even if you don't mean to, uh, when lawmakers attempt to define religion, they look for characteristics that are familiar. These characteristics, which are monotheistic, and it becomes murky and fuzzy in the laws when um, uh, different religions, especially cults and new religious movements, that don't have some of these main components. Uh, it's an interesting way that uh, countries, different countries, negotiate it. Because some avoid... Uh, defining religion altogether. So there's certain courts in different countries. They just say, well, we understand it's a problem. The more and more we try to define religion, <laughs> the more problems we encountered in the legal sphere. So we're just going to leave the word religion in there. And then, then individual cases and individual judges then get to decide how they're applying the particular protection, um, which makes things a little murky. But yeah. uh, it's one of the ways, I, and I'm not a legal expert, so I wouldn't even know necessarily how to solve it. The U.S. has a particular thing where they talk about, in the First Amendment, um, a firmly held belief or, you know, something of prime importance, which would then include ideological things like communism or, you know, or any capitalism, whatever, for that vague definition of religion. Mm -hmm. um, but... What usually the, the point I want to make here first is that this entire definition of what we have, of how we the conceptual notion, is because of the usually white male Protestant Western encounter with the foreign with the foreign. So early anthropologists go out and encounter, you know, they they go out into the world early uh, from the National Geographic Society. They find all these you know wonderful religions from different people, and they write in their textbooks, and we have them. Oh, we have religion, Christianity. You have superstition. <laughs> so everything non-Christian. 
So even the word itself, the development of the word itself in academia implies a Christian superiority. And we still have that legacy today. Different academics nowadays try to fuzzy that up. So uh, I have a colleague that does a lot of indigenous studies. And she was telling me that, well, in the sometimes different scholars that work on First Nations issues, uh, some scholars will say, we shouldn't even use the word religion. That's an imposed category. The colonizers came here, they, they, they put this word on us for what these traditions are, and we should reject it entirely. Other scholars will say, well, we're still in academia, we are writing for other academics, we should use the word, but then reinterpret it for what it means for us, for what this way of life is and these traditions are, which look nothing, practically nothing like this criteria of the God divine, the primary text. <laughs> they certainly have rituals, but it's mm. not this sort of close correlation of these components where they check a box and it looks like religion because it doesn't. Um, so there's all kinds of issues in the academy. And then uh, they're constantly negotiating with the popular notion also, where the world outside says, Anything that doesn't look like this particular view of religion is therefore a crazy cult. So it's this constant negotiation for legitimacy in the social sphere, in the legal sphere, and um, even with others. Like So certain religions reject the terms religion, apart from uh, native traditions, if they view religion itself and the word as um, inherently associated with institutionalized religion, um, these big, you know, churches with hierarchies, sometimes they reject that term entirely. So there's certain factions of neo-paganism which will say, uh, what I practice isn't religion, that's, that's old school Christianity. <laughs> what I practice is a spirituality, a worldview, a way of life. So they're rejecting religion at the same time that they're rejecting institutionalized religion. Certain atheist groups also um, a lot of scholars nowadays have begun to study atheism as a religious group. And so certain, because they're being mobilized. They have atheist churches. They're incredibly boring, but they have them. <laughs> they get together in these big It's halls, all Star Trek discussion. Kind of. They play music. It's um, not quite my idea of fun, but, <laughs> but, but they're, they're churches. And so scholars begin to write about them as new movements. And some atheist groups say, well, we're not a religion. That's what we're speaking against. And me as the scholar says, okay, but if you're organizing, you're mobilizing, you're singing songs in a church. <laughs> to me. <laughs> Just to show that there's all different ways to approach the definition of religion. Mm -hmm. And it's murky. So when you think about a law written in a book, no matter what country in a Western nation, um, it is always sort of fuzzied by the idea that no country as of yet has been able to define religion in a way that does legally protect what they say they want to protect. Because it doesn't always protect the fringe religions. It doesn't always protect the religions that um, are too bizarre and unrecognizable or the ones that they overtly actually want to suppress. Where, you know, in certain countries, like, like France, has a very bad reputation where they, even if they talk about religious freedom or the freedom of expression, it does not extend to new religious movements. So it's a, a, a murky area in, in a lot of Western nations. Wow. God damn, that, that that spurs so much uh, thought here. So <clears throat> early on um, in my exposure with the 
with Satanism um, just before I joined the Church of Satan, I always wondered how how a religion becomes legally recognized by the state. You know, how, like what you have to, like, as if there were a form that you fill out, this is my name and number and then here's, you send it into some central religious office and there you stamp it, you are now in a religion. Like well, I always... You can, um, if you can, if you're applying for tax exempt status, right? Mm -hmm. So in the United States, if you want to be tax exempt, you have to prove that you're a religion. Uh, church, you have to prove a certain type of criteria. Um, uh, but even then, uh, usually what happens is that it's just the individual, when there's, let me back up, when there's an issue that of certain type of behavior or speech that should be protected mm -hmm. under religion, then that individual judge has to decide. Usually what they do, and it's happened in Canada quite a few times, is they set that aside and try to find another way to give their ruling that doesn't affect the definition of religion. So... Huh. If they're trying to, if some, okay, so there's a case about child abuse, uh, you know, a particular group uses uh, the spoon, spank their kids. And you can argue the pros and cons of spanking a child, fine, I'm not, I'm not interested in jumping into that right. debate. But if it's brought before the court, uh, is there any area illegally where this behavior is protected under religious freedom? In the States, there's also been some cases about certain Christian groups, Christian science specifically, uh, praying when their children had certain types of illnesses and the, the community right. as a whole praying for them to get better. So is this child abuse or is this particular behavior, you know, falling to their religious to freedom? Yeah. yeah. Rather than taking it to a doctor. Exactly. So, so usually instead, the judge, instead of uh, making a ruling on the religious freedom, they just sort of circumvent it and say, well, the child was hurt, I'm only going to rule on that, and mm -hmm. then give their, their judgment um, to avoid it, because they understand how the law works is that it creates legal precedent. So it becomes this whole issue of they open up literally this, <laughs> or figuratively, the Pandora's box yeah. uh, for other lawmakers and gives legal precedent. So most judges avoid it altogether, unless you want tax-exempt status. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it is interesting because when you, well, at least for me, when I think of Religious Freedom Day, I thinking it through the lens of a Satanist, and it, I imagine if you're a Christian and you have this sense of ownership over the United States, Religious Freedom Day to you means a dramatically different thing. Right. Yeah. So for, for them, it is saying, well, see, the United States does recognize religion as being a part of its national heritage, hence Religious Freedom Day. And then right. Atheists and Satanists look at it and like, what? What? Who? No, that it, it means do your thing, but it's very much separate. We have a, a yeah. distinct separation. So, depending on where you are on that on that spectrum of religion, you're going to interpret the exact same celebration in a dramatically different way. So, if you're across the aisle and you see this other group saying Religious Freedom Day, hooray! You're like, you fucking hypocrite! No, <laughs> no, that is not. You know, it's it's very interesting to me. Yeah, and it's and a we, benefit to for like fringe religions to seek to to be considered an official legitimate religion in mm -hmm. order to get those types of civil protection. Yeah, yeah. So even if they're fringe, they they it it can be absolutely beneficial to them. Yeah, I you you were mentioning um, how uh, scholars see uh, native cultures through the eyes of religion. Um, from the introduction of Christianity and stuff. And I, 
that brought up a really interesting thought to me of, well, at what point does culture tip over into religion? Like if these right. rituals, they're, it's not a religion. It's, it's literally your, your cultural lifestyle. I can you know, tell you for what. example. I can tell okay. you. <laughs> it's a, it's a very <laughs> academic answer. Um, there is no difference until you encounter something foreign. So a homogenized culture, a homogenized culture, right? Everybody is the same. You make no distinction between what's religion, what's culture, what's economic, what's political, because all your culture is virtually the same, right? So there's no real lines between these things. And for a long time in most of the world, the notion between a separation between the religion and state was not even a concept. No one ever considered them as separate. Your political leaders were your religious leaders. So there's, there's no separation. It's a very modern idea that we've said, okay, let's sit for separate these things. And the reason in the modern area that we've decided to try to separate these things is because we've encountered other cultures that have vastly, drastically different ideas of what we would consider legitimate. So the notion of separation between culture and religion is almost a moot point. What I can say is that the very terms themselves and how people attempt to define them is when they encounter the strange. Here's something new. It doesn't look like what I know to be true. It's so weird. Clearly, it must be something else. <laughs> that's, that's the nature. This, 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 uh, and it's a violent encounter, usually. It's not sort of this slow. When, when cultures slowly merge you know, via different types of economic routes and expansion, that's fine you have less of this encounter. But when you have um, sudden influx of, you know, waves of immigration into North America, for one, from, all, from different areas of the world, suddenly the, what's religion and what's culture becomes very, very important because you're, most people are then faced with something that's very different. The way that they behave in everyday life is very different than what I do. What is that? And you're sort of forced with, than trying to define it in the popular area and then the legal area because, oh, is what this foreign thing they do a threat to me? And should it be illegal? How do I define this foreign thing they do? Yeah. <laughs> and that's usually the, the crux of the discussion, of the crux of how people are trying to uh, grapple with the concept is because they are suddenly faced with something that's weird to them on both sides. You know, immigrants coming here. Uh, you know, coming here, coming to Western nations yeah. and, you know, seeing how people behave, how disrespectful youth are to their parents. I mean, it looks so bizarre. Like, oh, my God, they tell their parents to go fuck off and they watch TV. <laughs> that would be unheard of in this particular, wherever they're from. It would be the most, you know, it would never happen. So on both sides, I think it's something yeah. to, that people often forget, too. It looks strange from both sides of that mirror. Wow. Well, uh, stimulating as always with Zaptic. That's amazing. Um, where can the people listening submit their own questions or find you online? So they can um, find me on Facebook, Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. They can also send me an email at zaftigworks, all one word, uh, all, you know, uh, all one word, small letters, at gmail.com. Uh, there is a blog, the Unorthodoxy blog at wordpress.com any one of those areas and you can find me i'm also linked off of the nine cents page and uh all of nine cents many many 
social media presence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So send me an email with a question uh, related to anything. Um, uh, we've gotten quite a few. I haven't gotten to them all, obviously, but I'm still uh, sometimes merge a few if people's questions relate. But I certainly welcome uh, as many questions as possible, anything related to religion in general, uh, but also specifically if you'd like cults, new religions, uh, esotericism, magic, Satanism. I'm open to it. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much for what you do. Uh, I, I think uh, unorthodoxy is an amazing uh, voice. And uh, yeah, you're, doing, you're doing some wonderful stuff. I really appreciate it. Oh, shucks. I didn't think. Oh, shucks. <laughs> All right, let's do a little old Nick's Peep Show and close this episode down. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us, as always, is managing editor Warlock Zothamog. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, Adam? I'm quite well, thank you. Uh, I'm really kind of excited for this episode of Old Nick's Peep Show. We're getting really, really close to the release of the winter issue, right? Yeah, any day now should be coming out. It's going to be great. Nice. So do we have anything to wet the palates of the listeners? Um, sure, I can give you a little more tease as to what to expect since this is the peep show. I'll give you a little sneak peek. <laughs> um, I will say that our centerfold is an actual Satanist, uh, Ophelia. She will be oh. great for the pages of the new issue. We will uh, also yeah. have the return of the pinup star Jamie, which is an old Nick favorite of ours. Yeah. Um, we're going to have some new fiction from a real witch, including photos, and of course there's going to be this really great new essay from Magus Gilmore. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a great issue. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Alright, well I am, I am definitely, definitely looking forward to that. And again, I mean, it's, it's pretty much any day now, right? Yep, any day now. Probably by the time this airs, it'll already be out. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Man. So, I mean, this is, for the Church of Satan, this is year 50, uh, 2015, uh, as far as the world goes. So this winter issue is, uh, it's running a little bit behind the curve of uh, desired release dates. But as anyone knows who works in publishing or uh, advertising or anything, you always want to make sure it's 100% before you release it. So, um, I guess here's a question for you, uh, Zoth. Uh -huh. What's the balance that you try to find um, between uh, meeting a pre-established or a goal-oriented deadline versus quality of the release? Do you ever worry that if you delay it because you want to make sure it's just right on release, that you're ever disappointing any fans that are waiting uh, you know, for that pre-established deadline? Um, well, we definitely worry about disappointing fans, but at the same time, we want to make sure that each issue is current, up to date with all of our advertising and our stories. You know, there were certain um, articles that came in last minute that we definitely wanted to include, as well as, as well as ads for the magazine. 
You know, every mm -hmm. time we do this peep show, I would tell you, you know, there's time to, you know, um, include your advertising if you want to. And, you know, last minute submissions, we definitely want to make sure that they get in there, especially if they're time sensitive um, advertisements. And, yeah. you know, we don't necessarily have a preset deadline date. We are a quarterly magazine, so it's kind of seasonal. So mm -hmm. this is the winter edition, which we are still very much in winter. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is, it'll be coming out very, very soon. Um, nice. Yeah. I, you know, we, we don't really like have like a date on the calendar. Like it's coming out this day. And if it's not finished, then that's it. You know, because then I feel the quality may be lacking in some aspects. And like I said, we want to be able to include everybody who's very eager to be a part of that issue. You know, yeah. if, if there are things that are brand new releases and they're really looking forward to um, including their, you know, their, their item in this magazine. And it's, you know, it's a time sensitive thing. Then, of course, we're going to squeeze them in. We're going to make room for them. And, you know, that's kind of something that we offer, the, our, you know, our list, our public. You know, it's that, you know, if you have something you want to promote, you want to get it in there or, you know, it's a last minute submission that we feel is really worth being in this issue. We will put it in there. It's kind of like the old days where we say, stop the presses, you know? Yeah, Wait, yeah. You know, we got something else. It's got to be in there. So we, we got, got one to re more. rearrange everything real quickly. You know, fortunately, <laughs> since we're working on basically on a digital format, the editing process is a lot easier than the old days when you literally had to stop the presses. Yeah. Um, what's the email for the uh, people to submit content? Oh, yeah. As always, it is info at odnickmagazine.com. And if you go to oldnickmagazine.com, you will find the email there as well as all of our social media links for you to find us in the wild, world wide web. Yeah. See, I'm usually in the, the stage of uh, design to release to publication of, of the print industry. So I... <laughs> I understand completely the the publication saying, look, w we would like to go to press. We're waiting on your ad. Please yeah. get it to us. And then I'm like, well, I'd love to get you the ad, but the client hasn't actually approved the ad. And so you're looking at the client like, seriously, we we need to go to press. I need to submit this ad. You have to give me feedback. I have to hear approval. And there's this, I swear, you know, for me, the people that want to get their ads in, it's just like, at their own term, on their own time, no exactly. one's rushing at all. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice to hear that there's actually a publication that that is willing to um, uh, delay, we'll say, uh, a release because the client, you know, is is maybe behind the curve or maybe is just now thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get the ad in, you know, because life gets kind of hectic sometimes. And yeah, I, you know, it's it's delay within reasonable bounds. You know, I mean, of right. course, if somebody's just way too late, we're just gonna be like, all right, sorry, it's gonna have to be the next issue. But you know, like I said, if it's time sensitive things, if if it's events or or publications that are you know coming out now, but you know, it's versus can it wait till next season? Then you know, we we try to you know be as accommodating to all of our, you know, uh, subscribers who want to promote in our magazine. Of course, yeah. you know, that is the, the, the life source of the magazine is the advertisements, as you very well know, being involved in the publication business, mm -hmm. um, you know, without advertisers, it's, you know, it's basically self-funded. So, you know, we try to uh, cater to the needs of, of our advertisers as much as we can. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate balance. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, on the other end of that, we have the audience. And so as with any 
commercial endeavor, I'll say, we always want to grow our audiences. What are some uh, some of the ways that Old Nick tries to grow their audience? Well, you know, like we've discussed in the past, we are definitely looking into utilizing all of these social media outlets that are out there since they are, for the most part, free. Mm-hmm. Where you have, um, you know, this, this network of people who are you know, subscribing to our pages and we're able to reach out broader audiences, especially when people share whatever we post or if they, you know, even like if you're looking at your news feed and somebody likes it and you go, hey, that my friend like this, what's this? And then, you know, you grow your audience that way. And, you know, we also try to accommodate all age groups and genders. We don't necessarily, you know, try to be, you know, male 18 to 25. You know, we try to mm-hmm. broaden out as much as we can, you know, depending on our subjects that we discuss, uh, that we focus on in our articles, as well as the models that we use. You know, it's, it's Old Nick has always been um, featuring models of different body types and different styles. Even the photography is different styles. So in that in that aspect, we reach a broader audience. We don't try to just pin pinpoint ourselves to one spe- specific style. Excuse me. One specific style or um, yeah. genre, we try to um, broaden our audiences that way. And you know, we're, we've got a couple of things in the works that is kind of um, how shall I say, following uh, trends that will um, possibly increase our audience a little more. Uh, not to say that we're followers or trendy, but mm-hmm. you know, there are certain things out there that are you know kind of um, happening on the internet that we're looking at and we're saying, well, hey. It seems to be, um, you know, um, gaining lots of momentum here. What if we do something like this? And, yeah. you know, without revealing too much of what exactly it is that we're trying to, um, to pull off here, <laughs> it's uh, something that everyone does and something that everyone is kind of guilty of. It's a little guilty pleasure that everyone does on the Internet. And we're just like, I think we can make this work for old Nick. And I think that's going to open the floodgates and you're going to see a, a much wider variety of, um, how shall I say, model submissions in the near future. Nice. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward yes, to that. That uh, sounds Bob interesting. Bob and I have been stroking our, our goatees in the dark lair, <laughs> planning for the future. Yeah, maniacal laugh. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, it, it's really nice to know that um, there's a constant evolution of delivery and uh, process uh, for Old Nick Magazine, and it's not just this this stagnant thing that it is a living, breathing entity on its own. It's oh yeah, it's, it's refreshing constant, actually. Constantly, when, whenever we meet or whenever we talk, you know, whether it be on the phone or via the, the email or texting, even. We're always constantly thinking about like what else can we do next? You know, what do you, you know, what ideas have you got? And that you know, that's the great thing about being involved in, in something like this. At least for me, you know, I feel like I'm always being challenged to come up with new ideas. You don't mm-hmm. feel like it's like one of these monotonous nine to five jobs, do the same thing every day. You know, you're constantly being put to the test, like what else can you come up with? And you know, that's that's the great part of it. It's like, you know, that, that creative process where you, you know, the challenge is always there. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, well, I think uh, I think that's a really good spot to end it, and we uh, we know it's never enough for you, the audience. Uh, so you can, of course, 
find out more about Old Nick online. And as we've already mentioned, let's sort of double down on that. So uh, Zoth, where can the good folks listening find a little bit more about Old Nick online? You can always find our homepage at oldnickmagazine.com. When you go there and you check out our homepage on there, you will find our links to our social media. You know, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, Pinterest and MagCloud and Skin Mags and Triple X Camps for you. We've also got little placeholder accounts on Ello and Google Plus. So Old Nick is almost everywhere right now that we can be, that will allow us to be, that is, <laughs> guidelines. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, find us out there, write us, look us up. And we're very, very accessible on the internet. That's great. All right, do yourselves a favor, everyone. Check out oldnickmagazine.com. Uh, Warlock Zoth and Mog, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Adam. All right, well, until we can chat again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. That's going to do it for another show, people. We hope you enjoyed it. And we would love to hear from you. Visit the website, 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Sajira, Spotify, and YouTube. I don't know why I keep saying Spotify. I'm actually not. They're they're dancing with the idea of having podcasts. So they randomly put up one episode. They put episodes of some other people. So... I don't know what they're going to do, but as soon as it's available, I'll do it. Uh, and YouTube, you can subscribe via uh, iTunes by searching Nine Cents. You can leave a rating or a comment. Again, if you're accessing, and I know a number of you do, Nine Cents through Stitcher, uh, ratings and comments really help there as well. So uh, do us a solid here, people. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, and why wouldn't you, visit thechurchofsatan.com. Of course, you don't have to. You can be a Satanist and not be a member. <laughs> I think our discussion pretty much uh, solidified that. Um, or I self-identify not a member. Uh, keep in mind that the only reason why we're doing this is for uh, education and entertainment for you, the audience. Uh, we take time out of our lives to present this to you for free. Uh, we just ask one thing of you. Share it. Share nine cents with your friends, your family. Share it with Grandma. I think she would appreciate this episode for, specifically uh, for the cultural references, for the religious references, uh, Absolutely. and peeing at the top. I mean, she'll be able to identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Grandma Pease. Um, all right. Uh, once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by the beautiful... Which Zafty? Yeah, that was your cue. <laughs> and uh, until next week, hail Satan! Hail Satan!